Okay. Um, welcome to The New Game, a series where Cambridge MBA students discuss various aspects of development in two emerging markets, Indonesia and South Africa. Indonesia is the world's fourth, fourth most populous country. Jakarta is the capital and is one of the world's largest cities. Indonesia has more than 17,000 islands, and there are many opportunities and challenges as it grows economically. I'm Conrad Chua, and with me today to discuss these opportunities and challenges is Melvani Kase. Melvani is a current Cambridge MBA student from Indonesia. Melvani studied food science in Cornell University and worked in PepsiCo as a product developer scientist. At PepsiCo, she was part of a team that launched a drink in the Middle East. So Melvani, first tell us about the food and beverage industry in Indonesia, for those of us who are not familiar with that country. Sure. Let me give you a little background about the, the market um, in Indonesia, particularly for the middle class living in big cities, for example, in Jakarta. So um, families in Jakarta usually live in a bigger household um, with their families, and they have maids at home. And they usually, um, for this type of family, then they would go to a traditional market or to the local um, grocery stores to buy fresh produce, and they prepare their food fresh every day. But there's also right now a growing number of smaller households um, living in a smaller apartment with working members where they don't have maids and they don't have enough time to prepare. So they go to the convenience store or a hypermarket to buy um, packaged food or products that are convenient for them. So do you see um, a lot of these international hypermarkets like Carrefour uh, or even someone like Tesco coming into Indonesia? Um, I wouldn't say a lot. So usually the players, the current hypermarket players are has been there um, for a long time. But right now there's a lot of convenience store players. For example, 7-Eleven is now entering Indonesia and is doing quite well. Um, there's also the old player, Circle K, has been there for a long time, but 7-Eleven was able to um, make a more hip brand, hip positioning. And so I think they're doing very well right now. Tell me, what is so hip about 7-Eleven? So I'll, I'll take an example of um, the 7-Eleven that was near from, um, close by from my house. So the concept is a convenience store, a small place, but they actually um, took quite a, a large chunk. Um, and they, it, it become the, because it's, um, it, it become the, the gathering place for a lot of the middle to low income um, people. There are people that need a five to 10 minutes coffee break and they want to meet with other people. It's become the social place because they provide a seating place um, and they provide um, beverages for people and to drink coffee, for example, for their coffee break. Oh, so in the 7-Eleven in Indonesia, they've got chairs and tables for people. Yes, and I find that interesting, actually. So it's not only a, a stop-and-go um, convenience store, but they try to attract people to stop and actually chat with um, other people that are doing their coffee breaks. So it becomes a social place in that this, respect. This, this idea of a, a social place is quite similar to what Starbucks is, has uh -huh. tried to do. Um, Starbucks calls itself the third place. Uh, the first place being uh, your, your, your home, the right. second place your, 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 your workplace, and this third place is kind of uh, in between that. So I guess that's what 7-Eleven is trying to do as well, trying to capture that, that space. Right. I think they understand um, that Indonesians love to socialize um, during work and after work. So um, in the malls, for example, there is a growing number of cafes and uh, hangout place that are um, very um, nice surrounding 
And usually people come in bigger groups and they chat with their friends for a long time and drinks and eat. So this is um, how it can attract a lot of um, Indonesian people to, to go to the malls. So Milvani, tell me about some of the factors that influence consumer decision and behavior in Indonesia's F&B industry. Sure. For the middle class that are living in a big city particularly, um, Indonesians follow the trends. <clears throat> so for example, um, recently, um, seven-layered cake or rainbow cake is very popular in, in Jakarta. And so a lot all of a sudden, all of the cafes and restaurants that serve um, cakes, they serve the seven-layer cake. Can you, can you tell me, just describe, what is this seven-layer cake? Sure, yeah. So seven-layer cake is basically um, a cake with, that contains seven different colors that are, consist, um, that are present in rainbow. And it's very attractive. Um, the taste itself is similar, it's probably similar to any other cake, but the main uh, reason people are so attracted to it is because it's very bright and colorful and they like to, um, this is a new sensorial experience for them. Okay. What are uh, other factors that influence consumer decision and behavior? Sure. Um, also, Indonesians are very social and um, influenced by the community, either through Facebook, um, Blackberry, or Twitter. And they usually purchase things that are recommended by their friends or families. You, you mentioned about um, the, the rise in prepared foods um, and how Indonesians, especially as they become uh, a bit more developed, they, they live in smaller houses and smaller families, they, they eat prepared foods a lot more. Uh, in the West, there's been an increase in occurrences of uh, obesity, type 2 diabetes, and that's been, uh, there's been a lot of accusations leveled against F&B companies, such as uh, Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, for example. Um, do you think that Indonesians will go along that same path of uh, having increasing obesity and increasing obesity-related diseases as their food consumption changes? I personally think that Indonesia still have a long way to go before we actually reach that part. Um, because in general, we don't overconsume um, sodas, as in, like in, in the case in the West. And so the portion are usually smaller in Indonesia. And also, there's still a large um, problem of malnutrition in Indonesia that we need to face, and that's a bigger problem than the actual the obesity um, in the case. In terms of malnutrition, uh, would that be more in the rural areas, or is that also the case in large urban centers like Jakarta? In, unfortunately, in even large open centers in Jakarta, there's also a huge gap between the rich and the poor. So there's also people that are living the slums, living under the bridge, so, um, and also small villages inside Jakarta that still have a um, high level of malnutrition. So it, it is still happening even in the big cities. In countries like uh, India, there's been a lot of focus on the bottom of the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And companies like uh, Unilever have had to change their products, change their distribution, so that they can sell to the bottom of the pyramid. I mean, yeah. they see that as a big economic opportunity. Yeah. Um, is that the case also in Indonesia? Absolutely. Um, the low-income population is actually a huge opportunity because it consists of a huge chunk of Indonesian population. And their motto is that 
I could live with $1 a day, but I couldn't pay $30 a month. So they live day by day, they receive pay, um, payment day by day, and they can only purchase that item for that particular day. So what a lot of companies do in Indonesia to target this uh, market is that they sell in smaller sachet. And in general, this sachet, um, if we look into it, the overall volume is, um, will, is, um, has higher margin. It's more expensive, but because it's for one use, um, they can afford that. So a lot of the low-income people, they end up purchasing things that are more expensive if you look at um, the overall margin, but it's more affordable for them to, to purchase that every day than have, having to purchase a large quantity and keep it for the whole month. Give me an example of uh, one of these sachets. Sure. Um, for example, shampoo. So shampoo and conditioner or detergent. So it's being sold in uh, one small sachet that we usually in the, in the West, we ex uh, receive it as a sample. So those kind of small sachet is sold for, can go as cheap as um, five cents in Indonesia. In the West, they've got um, a lot of very large uh, food and beverage companies with lots of advertising budgets. Mm -hmm. um, they can get product endorsements from uh, movie stars, sports stars, etc. Mm -hmm. How does uh, an Indonesian company, an Indonesian food and beverage company, compete with such international companies? Local Indonesian companies... Um, are closer to the customer and therefore have the ability to innovate and tailor their products um, to meet the consumer needs. I think this is a big strength that is um, by the local companies versus international companies. And so, for example, um, Teh Bottle, or in English it's Bottle Tea, is... What is it? Bottle, tea Bottle? Teh Bottle. Oh, okay. Can you tell us a bit more about what is Teh Bottle? Sure. It's, um, it's basically a jasmine tea product that has uh, with sugar... Um, and package in a bottle. It's a very simple concept, but it was um, it was marketed in Indonesia. I think it's been um, since ever I grew up with it. So it is ingrained in Indonesian families, and they relate to that brand. So this um, type of products or that meets the local needs can compete with the international brands. Do you think that um, a local Indonesian brand that's so steeped in tradition, I mean, you, you've obviously drunk day bottle from when you were young, um, do they run the risk of looking old when compared to, say, uh, a new product from a big Western company? I think there is a risk of that, I agree. But in this case, it would be more of a classic versus old. Um, just how people relate with um, Coca-Cola in the West. It's a classic product. Um, in this case, it is, it is a classic product. Um, the risk of looking old usually happens to a newer player that doesn't innovate enough, and therefore they get beaten by um, a new, uh, a new entr uh, entry companies that are able to come up with better flavors or better products. But in this case, um, Tebotol, everyone can relate. In, um, in people that I know can relate to Tebotol easily. And finally, Malvani, will we get to see a global food and beverage brand from Indonesia? 
I would love to, and I would like to be part of it. Um, unfortunately, right now, there is no um, global food and beverage product in Indonesia. And I think Indonesian in general, um, ironically, we are um, number four biggest in the world, but we don't have any um, global brands. I think in the next future, um, in the next few years, there's possibility to build um, Indonesian global brands, given that Indonesia is a rising market and there's a lot of invest investment opportunity. Okay, thank you very much, Bhavavani, for giving us um, a really great overview and in oversight about the food and beverage industry in Indonesia. Uh, we learned about how consumer preferences are, are changing, but there's still a lot of space for local traditional brands such as Tay Bottle. And at the same time, there's opportunities for a global brand to come out of Indonesia, and I'm really excited to see what you will be able to do after the Cambridge MBA. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here.